Well, if you would, please take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 20 together. And once again, we are reminded and we want to say he is risen. He is risen indeed. I remember when I was a teenager uh, going around to um, houses with my church and knocking on doors and asking people what their hope was in, asking people if they knew the Lord Jesus Christ, sharing the gospel with them in the neighborhoods in this little town where our church was. And one conversation uh, out of a few which poignantly hang in my mind is when I asked a man if he believed that he would be with God, that he would be in the kingdom of God after he died. And after quite a conversation, it boiled down to really that he hoped that he would be that he hoped that he would be. Now, this was not a hope of certainty that we see in the Bible as in our hope, our certainty of what will happen. No, this was the wishful thinking as reflected in the story from the death of Socrates who, has, who was sentenced to death by drinking hemlock for being a provocateur against the government. As he laid there dying, his friends asked, shall we live again? Listen to that question his friends were asking this great philosopher, their friend who had taught them so much, shall we live again? To which the famed philosopher, with death imminent, death hanging over him, replied, I hope so, but no man can know. Listen to those words again. His friends asked of him, this great philosopher, uh, this one whom uh, many philosophers today look at as the one who is the founder of their philosophy, and one that we can look to as a great thinker. And they asked him, as he is dying, shall we live again? And his answer to them was, I hope so, but no man can know. Now, Socrates lived about 400 years before Christ, and so he did not know about the, the event of Christ's resurrection. But we do know that the idea of resurrection is not a New Testament concept alone. Think about these events in the Old Testament. Elijah raised a boy. Elisha also. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2. Now, we need to remember that Elijah and Elisha, those ones that he they resurrected uh, from the dead, they died again. But listen to what Daniel prophesies in Daniel, Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2. Certainly a key in, in our understanding of resurrection in the Old Testament. It reads, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So Daniel even prophesies about this resurrection of the dead, some to life and some to everlasting contempt. And there's, of course, Peter's sermon where he proclaims in the New Testament from the Old Testament, Psalm 16, 8 through 10. Listen to what it says there. Uh, he's, he's quoting Psalm 16, 8. So now am I quoting Psalm 16, 8 through 10. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. To which Peter states as he's preaching this, this cannot be David, for if David is dead, this must be and de dead and buried, and we know where his grave is, but this must be referring to Jesus, uh, the Messiah uh, who was to come, Jesus who did come, uh, God incarnate in the flesh, 
Though Socrates lived before the coming of Christ, certainly even in the Old Testament, there was hope of a resurrection. So even the Old Testament saints, to some degree, understood that there would be a resurrection of the dead. So I want you to know this morning that there is true hope in the resurrection of Jesus. And even as I have stated in our main point, if Christ is not raised, we have no hope. So that's sort of the negative, isn't it? If Christ is not raised, we have no hope. We can put an addendum to that. But Christ is raised, so therefore, those who are in Christ have a certain hope. If Christ is not raised, we have no hope. But since he is, we have hope. We're going to see both of those things this morning in our text. The main point, again, is if Christ is not raised, we have no hope. But he is raised, therefore we have hope. I want us to see three steps of the logical digression of our faith if there is no resurrection. And then boost that up with the fact that Christ has been raised. So uh, three steps of logical digression if Christ has not been raised, if there is no resurrection, and yet see that there is a hope because Christ has been raised. Number one, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. Look at verses 12 and 13 with me. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. This whole section in which Paul is delivering this uh, truth that, that we're looking at this morning, it, it all begins with the gospel. Look over at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 5. Look at what he says there. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. So what is the, the core of the gospel? What is of first importance as Paul states here? Well, that is this, that Christ died for our sins according with the scriptures, in accordance with the scriptures. In other words, this was something that the Old Testament scriptures gave testimony to, that Christ would die according uh, to the scriptures, die for our sins. Who is the our? Well, believers, those who have uh, trusted in Christ, their sins have been forgiven by Christ's death. But then that he was buried, that he truly died, that he truly died, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Now notice that, in accordance with the scriptures at this point, that's the Old Testament scriptures. So Paul is giving uh, this acknowledgement to the fact that the, the scriptures in the Old Testament pointed to a resurrection of Messiah. And so this is, Paul is saying, our hope. This is our hope. Clearly, it seems, as we look at verse 12, though, that there are some saying that Christ, there is no resurrection. So, verse 12, now, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? The argument that Paul begins with is that if Christ has been proclaimed, so if Christ has been proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say in the Corinthian church, and perhaps even some in our day, some do say this, there is no resurrection of the dead. This is in direct correlation to the gospel message and what he says back in 15 and verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospels, the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand, 
this is the whole reason that Paul is reiterating this is because they needed to uh, understand what it is they believed in. This is the message they have believed in, the challenge of holding fast to the whole message. Look at verse 2, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you. So Paul is saying here, uh, this is a part of the message. The gospel message is that Christ not only died for our sins, but that he was raised again. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then even Christ has not been raised but, but look at what he says in verse 2. You are being saved by this if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. And this idea of vanity, this emptiness of belief, comes up several times in the passage. So he begins the whole chapter by pointing this out. Um, this is what I preached to you from the beginning. This is what you have believed. Um, this is what you put your hope in, unless you have believed in vain. In other words, unless you don't have a true belief. So Paul's argument is, if these who have seen the risen Christ have proclaimed to you, in other words, we, the apostles, Paul saw the risen Christ, he saw him on the road to Damascus, not in his um, earthly days, but after his ascension, he, he, he confronts Paul. So Paul has seen the resurrected Christ. He's saying, so if we, the apostles, have preached to you the risen Christ, um, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? The logical conclusion is, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then even Christ has not been raised. <clears throat> so there's a, a theological, <coughs> excuse me, implication here. <coughs> excuse me, um, and, and there are many of them that need to be kind of looked at in our passage together this morning. But the one that stands out here is the necessity of Christ's humanity to be the sacrifice of uh, sins, the sins of men, of mankind. Um, so thinking about this theologically, which is Paul's argument, here's a theological argument that uh, Christ had to come and put on humanity and that he had to uh, die in the place of sinners after living a perfect life and that he is raised again. There is a resurrection that occurs with someone who has been a human and still is a human, by the way, those two natures in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ his humanity was raised again. That was a bodily resurrection. So Christ had to be a human. If Christ is not God, he cannot save us. If Christ in the incarnation is not man, he cannot save us. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 states. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And the author goes on to speak of what Jesus did in the days of his flesh, in his incarnation. But we know that Jesus is not just some man. He became true man in the incarnation, and he has that nature still. But we also know that he has always been eternal God. So we think about what we've been studying in the Gospel of John together. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then in verses 14 through 18, we hear an explanation from, from John, the apostle, who, who this truly is. And the word became flesh. So think about that. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. 
John 1.18, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Therefore we have true God and true man. The hope of our resurrection is nothing if Christ is not truly God and truly man, and if he not be raised from the dead as a man, but only as some spiritual being. No, our hope is in the fact that he had a, a an earthly body that was um, flesh, and that even after he was raised from the dead, this same body was raised. It, it became a glorified body. Um, listen to Luke chapter 24, 24, verses 36 through 43. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to, be, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a what? A spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do you doubt? Why do, why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Uh, you see, dear ones, our hope is in a resurrection, but it is first and foremost a hope that is grounded in the resurrection of Christ. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Why? Because he is truly God and truly man. He has put on flesh, and that flesh is united now to him forever. Truly God, truly man, truly the Son of God eternally, truly adding that nature of humanity and forever now having that glorified human nature. And while they were still disbelieved for joy, they were marveling. He said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. Why? Well, because he was hungry in his glorified body and he was able to eat this fish and this bread which, by the way, means we'll be able to eat in glory. Hallelujah. <laughs> what a joy that is. But listen, Christ truly was raised from the dead. If Christ is not raised, there is no hope for mankind. The rest of the devastating realities, if the resurrection is not true, is seen in the following verses. This leads us to our second point. If Christ has not been raised, then all is vanity. So we start with, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then, then even Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then the whole thing falls apart. Look at verses 14 through 18. And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Notice that word vain, emptiness again. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Devastating. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then all these devastating effects come to pass. He goes on through this long list if the doctrine of resurrection is false. He begins with the emptiness of preaching. If we preach Christ raised and he is not, then we are misrepresenting God. He's saying, then we are liars. We are <clears throat> misrepresenting the God who raised Jesus from the dead. The Father is said to have raised Jesus from the dead. The work of salvation, the, the work of the resurrection is indeed a Trinitarian work, but it is the, um, 
It is the Father who has said to have raised Jesus from the dead. Listen to John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. Jesus, of course, speaking of both his death and his resurrection. It is a Trinitarian work. He says, this charge I have received from my father. Acts chapter 13, verses 30 through 31. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days, he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. So Jesus not only was raised from the dead, he was, he was um, with his people again, and they saw him, and they were eyewitnesses of his resurrection. But notice it says that God raised him from the dead. Listen to what Romans chapter 1 and verse 4 says. Jesus Christ was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the very gospel. And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, if there is no resurrection from the dead and Christ has not been raised from the dead, then all the preaching that the apostles have ever done, every preacher that has ever followed them, they are misrepresenting God because God has raised Jesus from the dead. And we are calling God a liar. Listen to what he says again in verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Not only is the preaching futile, not only is the preaching futile, if Christ is not raised, then faith is empty and futile as well. What have you believed in? Verses 1 and 2 again. This is the gospel in which you have believed, in which you have taken your stand. But if this is not true, then we have believed in vain. We have believed in vain. And devastation of devastations, you are still in your sin. Christ secured for us the forgiveness of sins on the cross but he also imputed his righteousness to us. So it's double, right? Our sins are taken away. The debt that we owed is taken away, and we are then filled up with the righteousness of Christ. But if Christ has only died and has not been raised again, then our sins are not forgiven, and we are still in our sins. And then he says this, not only that, but those who have died already, they're permanently dead. There's no resurrection hope. Remember in 1 Thessalonians that the people were concerned about the resurrection having already occurred and they missed out on it and they've missed their loved ones and, and all of these things. And, and Paul says, no, 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 it hasn't happened. You will know when it happens. Um, but yes, yeah, certainly those who are in the grave will precede us in meeting Christ. But we will shortly thereafter, in the twinkling of an eye, if you will, join them. But their bodies will be raised and rejoined to their disembodied souls. But if there is no resurrection of the dead and Christ has not been raised and we're still in our sins, then corruption has won, sin has won, death has won. The enemy, death and sin, has won. And there will be no resurrection of the dead. Therefore, those who have died, that's it. But there is much more to it than that. If that is true, then Christ has failed at his mission. 
They are not rescued from death. They are not rescued from sin. The fall has occurred and there is no hope. There is no hope. This causes Paul to then state, if Christ has not been raised, indeed we have no hope. In verses 19, in verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. This is the danger of what others have called, and I have copied, an over-realized eschatology. Notice Paul doesn't state it's wrong to hope in Christ for this life. But if it's in this life alone that we are hoping in Christ, we are of all people to be pitied. Why? Because this is not the end. And aren't we glad of that? Aren't we glad that this is not the end? Think about what we're currently going through. Uh, Think about the plagues and uh, the devastation of the past. I mean, this current crisis pales in comparison to something like the the Black Plague or even at this point the Spanish Flu. How devastating to think that this is it. You know, quite honestly, we here in the West do not suffer as much as other people around the world. You know, we we have been sort of sold a lie that this is our best life now. This kind of thinking might work well in a place like the United States, though in many sectors of the United States it, it still does not work well. But how about a place like Africa, where many devastations come day after day? Listen to what Conrad Mbwe, a reformed pastor in Africa, states. This teaching, this prosperity gospel that says you're to live your best life now and there's going to be no suffering and, and um, these sorts of things. This teaching has become a religious pyramid scam with the so-called men of God reaping a fortune while their blind followers are getting poorer. Every day, Conrad says, we have to deal with disillusioned individuals who have woken up when it's too late. This teaching is wreaking havoc in the lives of many African Christians, end quote. You don't want to, dear Christian, do not believe this lie, that this is our best life now. Do we have hope in Jesus? Yes, we do. In this life? Yes, certainly. But if we do not hope as well in the resurrection, of Christ and the resurrection that is to come for us because of Christ, because of his resurrection, then we are above all men to be pitied. Why? Because we hope in vain, Paul says. And it's unfortunate that we have actually, even as conservative evangelicals, bought into a soft version of this kind of theology. Because sort of in this middle class, moderate wealth of America, we have so much. And and we really wonder if anything could, could get better. Now, certainly, maybe our minds have been opened up again to this in the current crisis in which we find ourselves, thinking, certainly, (laughs) I hope that something is better than what we're currently going through. But if we're looking only to things to get back to normal after all of this, and that's our only hope, then, dear ones, we are lacking in a theology of the resurrection that, yes, there is something more coming, and we need to be grateful for that. Have you ever thought about this as you've read the scripture? Why is it that Jesus went to the sinners, the tax collectors, etc.? Because they knew what they were. Not like the um, not not like the Pharisees of old, but uh, who who thought that they were fine. No, they knew they needed some sort of 
those sinners, those tax collectors knew they needed some sort of help from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he went to them. Now, if we kind of end with this sort of um, downward spiral of what if the resurrection isn't true, that doesn't leave us with much hope this morning, does it? So let's look at verse 20 together. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Where is our hope today? Where is our hope? Our hope is in, yes, the incarnation, the fact that Christ was born and put on humanity. Our hope is in his perfect life, where he fulfilled the law perfectly, where he fulfilled all the prophecies. In his death, where he paid the penalty that we deserved on the cross, the debt that we owed, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Yes, we are. We are so, so thankful for that. But we also recall, as Paul says here, that a part of the gospel, there is an incomplete gospel unless we have the resurrection. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then even Christ has not been raised. And our faith, our hope is in vain. But, verse 20, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. It has happened. It has occurred. And he is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What does that mean? The first fruits. He is the first one to be resurrected and to never die again. To be glorified. To be ascended on the right hand of the Father. And we too, at some point in our life, we will die unless Christ returns for us. But then we will be resurrected and we will be given glorified bodies. First John 1, First uh, John, I'm sorry, 3, verses 1 through 3. When we see him, we will be like him. We are given resurrection, glorified bodies. Fit for eternity, Paul says later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That is our hope. Perhaps you're listening in this morning and you don't have that hope. You don't have that certainty that you will be raised on the last day unto life. All of us will be raised again, but some will be raised, as Daniel says, to destruction. Only those who are in Christ will be raised to life. So I want to plead with you this morning, if you've not trusted in Christ alone to be made right with God, please turn from your sin and trust in him. Trust in what Paul says is the gospel here, that Christ died for our sins, that he died for the sin of sinners in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he was seen alive by his followers. Put your faith and hope, your trust in that alone, in Christ alone. For those of us who are in Christ, this is our hope. We do not hope in Christ in this life alone. He gives us, yes, eternal life. We are granted that. We are uh, adopted into his family. We are given Christ's righteousness, all the benefits of knowing Christ in this day and age. But our hope is not in this life alone. It is in the life to come in the resurrection. So please, dear ones who are in Christ, let that be what encourages you today. Do not despair. Resurrection day approaches and we will be those who rise with him to meet him in the clouds, to be with him forever. That is a truth 
that we need today. It's a truth that we celebrate today, but we really celebrate it every Sunday, don't we? The Lord's Day, that's how that came about. It became the Lord's Day Sunday, the day that he rose. And that's when the church meets. And oh, how I long to meet with you again, church family. Would you